Hello, this is Peter Woolfolk. First, let me say thank you so much for being a listener. Now, I want to alert you to our shiny new podcast website located at podpage.com. However, you can go directly to the podcast site located at www.publicrelationsreviewpodcast.com. There, you can contact me through email. You can leave a voice message. You can leave a review. You can read an episode blog and frequently learn about the podcast guests. You might also want to suggest podcast topic ideas or even suggest a guest. You can also let me know if you would like to receive our podcast listener logo that you can post on your social media. So I look forward to hearing from you about our new podcast website, www.publicrelationsreviewpodcast.com. Thank you so much for listening to the Public Relations Review Podcast and have a great day. Welcome. This is the Public Relations Review Podcast, a program to discuss the many facets of public relations with seasoned professionals, educators, authors, and others. Now, here is your host, Peter Woolfolk. Welcome to the Public Relations Review Podcast and to our listeners all across America and around the world. Now, question ESG environmental, social, and governance. Why is this so important to the public relations community? Now, our guest today can help answer that. As momentum continues to build in the health and science industry on ESG investing, public relations professionals must consider ESG as they build their strategic communications plans. Developing a strategy around ESG includes strong environmental initiatives as well as C-suite executives who are committed to building diversity and inclusion as part of their corporate culture. As communicators, it is, us, it is up to us to roll out ESG-friendly initiatives that go beyond philanthropy and tell sustainable stories to those who matter most, our varied audiences. Now, my guests today have extensive experience, successful hands-on experience that will help guide our listeners to not only about the what of ESG, but also the how to achieve meaningful ESG strategies. Joining me today from Charlotte, North Carolina, are Josh Jacobs, CEO, and Janet Irwin, Chief Marketing Officer, both with Next Stage Consulting. They develop strategy and implementations for social impact. And joining us from Hartford, Connecticut, is Andrew Blum of AJ Communications, who has extensive experience in PR launches for climate change practice, renewable energy, public relations for wind and solar, and much more, including many published articles. Welcome to each of you to the podcast. Okay, so let's begin with E. So, Andrew, why don't you start with that one? Environmental matters. Why does it matter in the public relations environment? Well, I think, and I'm speaking from my experience, so if I talk about maybe my view goes back 20, 20 some odd years, and I'm sure we've had environmental issues and what they called green and tree huggers for years, but I think within the last 20 years, it has shifted to, to more of the mainstream. So whether you have corporations or nonprofits, they all see the need for the E and the renewable energy and the sustainability and the climate change. So the more that corporations and nonprofits see the need, 
they're bringing in more PR and marketing and social media people to get that message out. Now, I think it's also important to note that we used to have a lot in the media on what I will call climate change deniers. And it seems like you were always, even though the science was there on climate change, you had these deniers. I've seen less deniers in the media lately, so much else in the media. But I've also seen, the last thing I want to say here is there's now a culture war element to sustainability issues. And I think that's something that PR and marketing and social media people have to address. Now, because environmental uh, issues is, is such a wide area, how does one go about selecting, uh, deciding what about the environment that we will engage in for our particular organization? How, does, how should one go about that? I think it depends on, first of all, who your client is and also what, what's your, you know, sometimes you, you have a client who you agree with on, on issues. Other times, we're not lawyers, but sometimes we don't necessarily agree with our clients, but we'll take on an issue. So I think it depends on two things. What is your client's goal? What is your client's industry? And what is also your interest and expertise? I got into this because I had a client who had renewable energy practices, and then that morphed into the client doing their own in-house sustainability program. Then they started a climate change practice. Then they started an electric car practice. So once you get something that you're interested in, they want to push forward. I think that's how you get involved. But then the daily swing of the mood in the country and the other side of this issue also drives forward. How are you going to deal with this? We see similar kind of choices when it comes to the S, the social component of ESG and companies um, really aligning their own values and guiding principles with the causes they support. Um, We're seeing these things become an expression actually of a company's own values, purpose, materiality. Um, I think that's becoming more important generationally. You know, millennials, Gen Z want their companies to be an expression of the values that they have and the companies that they work for and buy from. Um, They want to really reflect um, the values they themselves have, whether that is environmental concerns, social concerns. Um, It's it's becoming more and more important that their companies stand for something. Yeah, I might just add that the the idea of materiality is really important to your question, uh, Peter. So the idea of what should you focus on uh, is very dependent upon the individual company and what it considers its uh, areas of exposure. So ESG as a framework is really is really about risk, uh, and it's about the company's risk through its own processes, you know, kind of what are sometimes unintended uh, negative impacts. Uh, so we think of a, a manufacturing company with a complex supply chain uh, is having an unintended impact on our environment because of uh, shipping and uh, transportation, logistics. Uh, that company, you know, isn't, you know, in, in the business of uh, environment. Uh, but it is having an impact on the environment. So uh, one, a company first has to do an assessment of its exposure to understand what areas uh, does the company have an impact, uh, and then uh, to consider how it might mitigate uh, that impact through uh, strategy. And so when we think of ESG as a, as a framework, it's really rolling up all of those things that have potential you know, negative impact on society uh, and you know, plenty of the ways that companies want to lead in creating a, a more positive outcome, uh, whether that's through, uh, you know, direct uh, impact through their own company. You know, how can they mitigate their own processes to create a better outcome 
uh, or how can they you know impact the world uh, more more globally through their philanthropy or through you know their work in in community which is the area that we're focused on the s and esg how are companies uh, thinking about their social self uh, their citizenship self beyond what they directly impact you know i guess that brings up another question for me because i, I basically i heard two things in, in that last sentence one is an age issue that uh, ESG is more important to certain segments of the population based on age as compared to others. The second thing that I heard there was some people in terms of ESG looking to, to look at what is our exposure in terms of ESG, whether it's environmental or, or social, and then how can we go about fixing it. So let's go back to the age part of it first, because I think there's a bit more that I'd like to get out of that as you said, basically, it's the younger generation who are more concerned about it than the older generation. Is that close to being accurate? It is. And I will say um, more people from every generation care about this generally than they did even 10 years ago. So that, okay. that trend is moving up across the generations, but it is definitely more prominent, um, beginning with millennials and then um, Gen Z especially, because those are the folks we're seeing begin to move into the workforce. And so you're starting to see it both on the employee engagement side. People want to work for companies that express their values and also on the consumer side. They want to buy from companies that reflect their values. Yeah, and the big impact of ESG has really been on shareholders. So whereas uh, consumers and employees have been, uh, you know, sort of if we think of cause marketing uh, from a PR standpoint, thinking of the consumer uh, as the uh, intended audience, uh, that shifted. And as you've likely heard about the workforce crisis and in really a global workforce crisis, uh, the great resignation, which was really the great reprioritization for a lot of uh, young people in particular, employees uh, and, and how they are an intended audience for, you know, impact reports and, and communication uh, because, you know, where you work and having value alignment is important. Those have existed for years, but what has been the disruptor here in the ESG space is about shareholders. So as we think about who you invest into uh, and uh, how you, uh, you know, curate your 401k uh, based on what funds you're buying, these ESG funds uh, have become you know, such an important part of uh, the, the dynamic here of you know, whether a company is or is not included uh, in sustainable investing uh, in social uh, responsibility and, and investing. And so we really see the shareholder pivot uh, as being the, the, the big impact. And, and Peter, I think you're right that it is more driven by uh, younger audiences. You know, as we think about the, the young person, the gen, uh, the, the millennial who was raised on the messaging of maybe some of your, your PR audience in the cause marketing space, and then, you know, are now in the workforce, they're now thinking about where they're investing their money. Mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, they're wanting to invest into companies that align to their values. I was going to say, I might, might have been ahead of my time, but when I was in college, maybe I was naive, but I would not buy a product that had some someone who was endorsing and who I didn't agree with. And that maybe, maybe that, I think, was naive, but now, you know, you can't avoid products. I mean, you can't, you always can't pick and choose because sometimes products do have a bad, you know, bad spokesman, but, but, you, but you like the product. So, so, that was me, you know, many years ago. To add to your point about shareholders, uh, I'm reading more about shareholder proxy wars over ESG. And I'm also reading about 
attorney generals in 25 states showing the Labor Department to block a rule that pension funds would consider ESG when they make investment decisions. So I think that's right on what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, this certainly is interesting there. And I would think now because there's so much being talked about the environment, that it is an issue that more people are, t- are beginning to focus on, you know, whether it's depletion of water, other things that are happening, gases being released, that more f- folks are focused on it. So it brings does bring attention to organizations and how they go about dealing with it in their particular environment. Yeah, so true what you just said, Peter. I think the the idea that people are, are more uh, aware of and, and, and pondering how their individual decision-making uh, informs and impacts, you know, the larger whole, which we may, you know, some of it is just, uh, I think the, the world we live in now, we're, we are understanding how everything is related. Uh, and there's an inner intersectionality that we maybe were, we're not as, uh, considerate of, uh, you know, as we think about the recent pandemic and seeing how everything is related and connected, that that has been a big, uh, shift in, in sort of perception. So, We've always had, you know, for, from an environmental standpoint, the idea of litter bugs, right? You know, that we want to throw away something uh, in the in the right receptacle. But we maybe haven't thought about how uh, buying something from the store uh, and, and how it got there and how it, how it, where it will go when you're done with it. Uh, and then we learned about the supply chain challenges during the pandemic and we learned about where things come from and we're getting a much more sophisticated, I think, understanding uh, of how our individual decisions inform a larger, more system and, uh, systemic framework. Uh, and certainly, you know, the internet and communication and our, our in PR, we're often, you know, trying to make more simple things that are more complex. But people are thinking in complex ways. Mm-hmm. We're thinking in more system ways. And so, you know, from a PR perspective, how do you both uh, get to you know, a harness, a, a simple message that resonates with people, while also recognizing that people are thinking more uh, in more complex frameworks than they've ever done before. I think part of that may start at the top of, of a company. Uh, I had a client who wrote a book called The Culture of Purpose several years ago, and he looked at sustainability from the top down at Chrysler, Unilever, a company called Bungie Limited and Bloomberg. Now, Bloomberg is a no-brainer in this area because Michael Bloomberg is, is a big climate change advocate. But these other companies, he, he he sort of outlined, yes, it is it is spreading in companies. Now, even the Rockefeller family, a number of years ago, some of the Rockefellers said, hey, we have to get away from our fossil fuel ancestors, and they started funding climate change groups. So I think it is it is taking off. And earlier, I know there was discussion about the unintended consequences. Bitcoin mining has a problem with energy use. They've started using old energy plants to power these Bitcoin mining plants, and that's caused a lot of controversy. I haven't seen any update on that lately. So that's another one of these things where technology is is good to move forward, but there is an unintended consequence that brings us back to the ESG issue. Well, I'll tell you, that is all very good input. But now let's shift to the social part of this uh, equation, the ESG, the social part. How should uh, companies go about approaching that? Because that's a huge umbrella that obviously a lot of people are paying attention to it, and they're managing it in different ways. What are some of your experiences in how they manage the social component of this? Anybody? Yeah, I can jump in here. 
the social part of ESG is different from the other parts, just because if you have seen one company's social impact strategy, you've seen one company's social strategy. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, when it comes to the E in ESG or the G, those metrics and the measurements are a lot more defined, right? Like carbon footprint is carbon footprint, renewables, like those things are more clearly defined. When it comes to S, it tends to be an expression of a company's values and purpose. It tends to align with their own materiality and their own interests and their own systems. So where one company might heavily invest in, you know, housing issues, another might focus on environment and another one might focus on education. And um, that's good. Um, But it also makes it a little bit more challenging to um, understand and define. And the interesting part of that is it really can be unique to each company. It can be a good expression of themselves. And from a PR perspective, you're really gaining the ability to communicate that more widely, especially now that more people are interested in that. Yeah, and I'll jump in just to say that the uh, social, you know, we talk about internal S and external S. So the uh, internal social uh, is really things that a company uh, informs and can impact directly through its, its business processes. So social causes like diversity, equity, inclusion are addressed often through the workforce and, and hiring decisions. We think about wellness, you know, how the behavioral health challenges that are you know globally uh, being expressed right now, how is that showing up in our workforce? So, so much of social in the ESG, the S, has been expressed internally, things that the company directly impacts. What we're focused on at Next Stage is the external S, which is to say those unintended social impacts. If you think about a financial services company uh, that is deciding who is lendworthy, so if someone who is moderate uh, of moderate income seeks a loan for a home and is turned down for that loan, the unintended negative social impact is that that person's generational wealth has been impacted. Their, their economic mobility has been impacted. From the internal standpoint, the company is just making a good business decision on who should and shouldn't be lent money, but there's the negative uh, social impact of that person not being able to uh, accumulate wealth. And so the, the key here is not about changing practice inside the company. This isn't about wanting more people to be lent to who maybe aren't worthy of that uh, at that moment, but rather how do we improve that person's lendworthiness? How do we make them more likely to be able to own a home? Mm-hmm. A company needs to be again, thinking about its ex- external impacts in that way. And so it's not about changing the supply chain or a environmental uh, impact that they directly impact. It's something that is more societal. And so a company really needs to consider what are those negative social uh, impacts that we aren't really pondering because it's just good business that we have to now get ahead of. From a PR standpoint, we're one headline away from someone, you know, outlining how our company maybe does things that we aren't pondering, you know, aren't thinking about those those ripple effects of decisions that we make. And so a company really needs to think about its external S as well. And that's why you're seeing companies, you know, focus so much on cause, focus on, you know, really narrow where they're spending their money. They're not sponsoring, you know, just everything that comes along. They're they're really being thoughtful about where they align not only their financial self but all of their resources. And Josh, I would add to that, we're working with a couple of clients now, and and we are seeing that trend of moving away from a more um, transactional sponsorship model, and we're seeing them engage more in in big systems work. They want to feed into these bigger issues. I actually had a client the other day say, I am tired of writing checks in exchange for logos on Mm t-shirts. Like, we're not doing that anymore. What we want to fund are things that are going to 
enable us to speak into broader conversations. And in that case, it was education and teacher retention. So how is the company known for that work and associated with, with these bigger picture um, societal shifts uh, versus the more transactional models that, that companies have relied on in the past? Um, we think that's a, a trend that's going to start changing across the board. Let me just ask a very, very quick question because you brought up a, a thought that uh, is, you're right, companies don't want really to just write a check and, and uh, you know, have their name on a plaque. Is there some effort or should organizations have some effort in terms of their approach then to potential donors, so to speak? You know, we'd like to help you improve your internal mechanisms for doing A, B, C, and D on the social side because in some cases, uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion is a huge issue in some uh, so, some companies or areas. So perhaps the community or the organization itself can, or other folks outside people can help them help themselves, so to speak. Has that ever happened before? Yeah, for sure. I mean, we're, we're seeing a, 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 what I would say is a wholesale repositioning of how nonprofit organizations and companies relate to each other. As we think about nonprofits as being often those who have missions that are about positive social impact, companies that have uh, long invested into community through them, uh, and but it's been more of a, a patriarchal mindset. You know, the, the company as the, the parent and the nonprofit as the child and this sort of idea of gifting, you know, charitable giving uh, and corporate philanthropy. When really what we're starting to see is that those vendors of social impact, the nonprofits, are actually vendors to the company. So when you think about how companies can think about how they can mitigate some of their negative social impacts, uh, thinking of the nonprofits they invest into as, as more of a vendor-like framework, that in fact, that's a partner, a partner in the work, uh, and it's a win-win-win partnership in so much as the company's own benefit, how it improves CSG score or how it's improving its DEI standing, uh, how it's uh, mitigating some of the risk associated with some of those downside negative uh, impacts that are unintended. Uh, the nonprofit is elevated then, you know, more like a vendor, more like how we would engage a consultant or uh, engage a vendor of uh, services that, you know, benefit the company. Uh, and that's a big shift because companies aren't, aren't used to thinking of nonprofits as, you know, vendors of services. They're, they're used to thinking of them as, you know, sponsor destinations and sort of nice to haves. But we're finding it really needs to be more of a need to have for a lot of companies. And a lot of the clients we're working with are beginning to reposition it that way. Okay. I wonder if uh, what what the impact of COVID was on all of that. Maybe you can add to that. But I found before COVID, you know, a lot of nonprofits, unless they hit you between the eyes and said, I'm a nonprofit, working with them, they seemed almost like they were corporations, from my experience. Explain that a little bit more and how you saw that. In other words, they, they had they had budgets. They operated they operated like agencies or mm-hmm. you know operated like like corporations. And and man, that was before COVID. So I don't have a really good handle. If we're still sort of coming out of COVID, how all the things we're discussing today have been impacted. Maybe maybe we're, we're out of it. But I still see some impacts from COVID. You know. Okay. Sure. Well, I do think the uh, the COVID the COVID timeframe coupled with 2020 was such a disruptive year. You know, beyond a global pandemic, we were also experiencing the the fight for racial and social justice roar to life, particularly in the United States, uh, with the murder of George Floyd uh, and the uh, social unrest that came as a part of that. So we, we were really disrupted, you know, over the course of that 12 months by, you know, two really impactful sort of cultural activities that have, I think, ripple effects and have changed us in some ways, you know, maybe forever. 
Uh, and one of the ways that has uh, affected traditional public relations through the nonprofit lens is whereas previously we were maybe more interested as, as brands in national and national brands, kind of the Red Cross as being, you know, kind of a stalwart brand that a large corporation would want to align to in the post pandemic post-racial and social justice moment, uh, we're beginning to see the need for more nimble uh, partnerships, more community-based partnerships, organizations and uh, entities that have built trust, community, that's no longer kind of brand-to-brand alignment and and sort of the corporate-like structure of a lot of nonprofits. We're starting to see more of that uh, nimble partner who can do maybe something specific you know, in a specific region or even a specific neighborhood. I mean, some of the work that we're doing with companies, global companies, you know, big, big uh, scaled up companies is really looking at how can we affect change in this set of neighborhoods in our headquarters city? Mm-hmm. How can we do place-based work that is really moving the needle for a set of people? Because at the end of the day, those metrics now live into a larger framework of metrics, not unlike the environmental side, whereas, you know, we have uh, an understanding that the environment is a is impacted by everything we're doing. So what what, what I'm doing in my manufacturing factory in uh, Asia is having an impact on air quality here in the United States. We're starting to think of social the same way that the metrics we might affect uh, through our company's lens of, of investment and and funding is just one piece of it. I mean, how do we bring our workforce? How do we bring our marketing self? How do how does the PR team you know contribute to a positive social uh, impact? These are all the questions being asked, but it's no longer about needing to be able to, you know, align to big global brands. If I can affect the lives of a thousand people in my headquarters city, I've positively contributed to a positive social outcome. Uh, and in the ESG world of metrics, those thousand people are meaningful uh, data that, that a company is now reporting out on. Well, that's some good information there. I tell you, uh, why don't we, before we get too far down the road, let's take a look at the governance side of ESG. What have you seen taking place in that arena so that the organizations are, let's say, getting up to speed in in that arena? You know, some of the key issues there, uh, Peter, one, executive compensation. So when we think of governance, we're thinking about this this focus on decisions that are made by by companies that are policy or, you know, related to to management uh, and certainly, you know, how executive compensation uh, aligns to the big metric is sort of executive compensation, how it aligns to as a percentage of, you know, how many, you know, you hear 20x or 30x or 50x of the, the average uh, worker, you know, executive compensation is important there, but also how we're affecting policy. So how a company uh, is using lobbying dollars to influence policy, you know, one way that one, a company could mitigate uh, negative environmental uh, impact would be through lobbying to you know, change the policies, uh, you mm-hmm. know, to get the EPA to, you know, change uh, what uh, levels of pollution are considered negative. If you aren't improving your processes, a company might think, well, gosh, I could affect policy and that might be a way. But here we see uh, that as having a negative impact, right? That uh, if you are affecting policy to make your uh, negative uh, social and environmental impact less so, you're not contributing to society. You're uh, trying to improve your score. So uh, that is also viewed uh, through that lens. So governance tends to have these very specific, as Janet said, very specific measurable areas uh, where 
you know, companies are being held accountable uh, to how they are investing into lobbying, how they are uh, compensating uh, their employers. Anything in the policy space uh, is going to live in governance. Well, one of the other things about governance also are looking at the structure of boards. A major complaint for years has been how few women are on some of the boards of some major organizations, as well as, uh, you know, people of color. So I think that might be another issue that uh, could come back to haunt some people based on where they are and what they do. Any thoughts? Janice, go ahead. Yeah, I think that's true. And I think this, you know, fight for racial social justice is cutting through and across all of those areas. It lives, I think, heavily in the S, the social component, but also in the governance component in those areas like you know, the makeup of your board, the makeup of your executive team. Is it a diverse representation of, you know, the people in your company and your shareholders and your stakeholders? That's absolutely going to be a huge, a huge thing going forward. Yeah, if you think about governance as being really how decisions are made by a company, uh, having solid, inclusive and, and diverse voices in, in your board makeup is going to result in better decision making. That's the, the you know, the concept. Uh, and, and when we have a, a number of people who all have similar identities, similar experiences, similar worldviews, uh, our decision making is likely to be less, you know, less informed and less representative. Uh, so certainly we see, you know, in corporate board representation being uh, another area in the governance space where we we see metrics. And, and it's important that we talk about ESG through a metric lens. So you know, this isn't just about kind of feel good uh, or you know, what we think we should be doing, you know, ESG, the whole construct of it is based on the idea of a reporting standard that companies are now electing to be evaluated on these areas. And they're being evaluated through a set of metrics. There's a number of, of evaluation, third-party evaluation frameworks that are used. GRI is one, uh, SASB is one, through accounting uh, standards. Uh, and it's really about looking at, you know, what what is reportable uh, by the company. So if we think of this kind of the way, if your audience is familiar with lead certification for, you know, architecture, you know, mm-hmm. is a company or is a building lead certified speaks to its environmental impacts and you know, their standards. You have to decide, are you someone who uh, wants to go for that gold standard or platinum standard, or are you okay with more of a bronze standard or, or, or do you not want to pursue it? You know, there comes a point where it now costs money. We're losing money. Uh, yeah, out of our pocket to make the, some decision. But we believe that we'll benefit through, you know, in a larger way, uh, through the, the brand identity uh, that comes with lead certification, uh, that we will win more clients through that. So it costs, you know, money in order to uh, get this sort of status. The same that is true in ESG. So as we think about our PR audience, our desires to be thought of as leading in the ESG space is going to cost money up front. It's going to cost money in how we are losing maybe profitability in the moment. But just like our PR efforts, we believe that we'll be able to win on the back end by presenting those decisions in a positive light. Mm -hmm. That more people want to work for us, more people want to buy from us, and ultimately more people want to invest in us because we are this way. So the PR team is really the most important part of the ESG story, really, for a company, mm-hmm. because unless people know that about you, unless you're, unless it's known that your company is doing these things intentionally, you won't have that, you know, impact on the back end. I would say to that very well said. Um, we're also in the middle of what I'll call annual corporate annual meeting and shareholder meeting proxy season, 
and there are dueling sides who are pushing, you know, they want decarbonization on one side, others don't want decarbonization. So that that continues to be an issue in, in shareholder situations. And you were talking earlier about um, <clears throat> the way that people are being, corporations are being examined now. So let's take an example of climate change. Companies are more and more being scrutinized in public for what they do on climate change. A few years ago, Exxon was raked over the coals on what they did or didn't do when it came to climate change. And as far as the, the PR agency world, as I talked about earlier, sometimes you don't always agree with your clients, but there was a bit of a controversy that certain PR agencies were representing too many fossil fuel companies. Now, clearly, if you've got a fossil fuel client and a renewable energy client, you've got some some fancy dancing to do. It's hard to do both, you know. So these issues keep coming up as we go forward. Well, let me say uh, this because I know we're so maybe running up against the clock a little bit, but this has been very, very informative. I've learned a lot. Uh, let me just ask if there are any closing comments from any or all of you. I was just going to say that ESG is an area that is only going to grow. Uh, I think the concerns that companies are paying attention to are going to get more and more important. I think, again, those generational changes, um, consumers and shareholders and stakeholders are going to be more and more interested in the impacts of companies, you know, environmental, social governance, how companies are engaging with the world around them. So we don't see this as a trend. We think it's a thing that is here to stay for the long haul. And I'll add that uh, if you are interested in learning more, uh, our firm, Next Stage, uh, has published a couple reports on this. Uh, the first, Profit and Purpose, which we uh, published a couple of years ago. And we just published the ESG addendum uh, to our Profit and Purpose. So if you put Profit and Purpose and Next Stage into Google, you'll find uh, our report. Uh, and in that report, we've interviewed a lot of folks where we are working with companies in this space and and we've brought forward some case studies and different uh, examples. This is really kind of a fast-moving um, trend line uh, that doesn't have a lot of best practice. So, uh, Peter, we're appreciative that you have made a platform for this because you know, there isn't really a book you can find. There's there's no good to great written yet on how to be a, a thoughtful you know a leader in the ESG movement or how public relations you know fits into it. A lot of folks are figuring this out as they go, uh, mm-hmm. and it's through podcasts through blogs and, and uh, reports from, from companies like ours that you know, people are learning uh, because this is, this is here to stay. As Janet said, we think this is the, a kind of new world order, if you will. Uh, and you know, all of the kind of concerns for woke corporations and, and uh, you know, the challenges of, of optics and you know, anything your, your public relations uh, listeners are thinking about in terms of you know, how how people will take this in, that is all fast changing. Uh, and there's a reason why we see companies aligning to these these causes. Generational change is here to stay. And and as the millennial ages and the, the boomer retires and, and moves off, uh, we're going to have a very different consumer, employee, and shareholder environment. Uh, and smart companies are getting ahead of this. You, know, you don't want to wake up one day and find yourself on the front page uh, of the newspaper. You want to have gotten uh, way ahead of this. Uh, so these trend lines are not, you know, theory. This isn't something that you go to a conference and hear about and then go back to business as usual. If you aren't, you know, doing something about this and, and finding ways to, to tap into this in your own you know, public relations team or if you're a consultant in the space, 
uh, we would advise fast moving to embrace this because it's it's really a trend line that's here to stay. Good. Andrew, any closing um, remarks? I would add, for, okay. a, for AJB Communications, I would add that, yes, the, this is not going away. The, the environmental and financial and climate change and the need to move quick on this issue, whether it's fixing all the pollutants we have in, in this in this world or advancing you know electric vehicles that's all going to keep moving forward and you and anyone who's in pr or marketing in this space has to have these knowledge base points in their toolkit otherwise you're left behind and so is your client well let me say this has been hugely informative and not only for me but i'm sure our listeners will thoroughly enjoy this let me say thank you to Josh Jacobs, uh, Janet Irvin of uh, Next Stage Consulting, and Andrew Bloom of ABJ Communications. And to my listeners, I really, really hope that you've enjoyed this. Uh, if you have some suggestions for the program, give me a call. And let me always say thank you for listening to our listeners, not only in the U.S., but around the world. And join us again for the next edition of the Public Relations Review Podcast. This podcast is produced by Communication Strategies, an award-winning public relations and public affairs firm headquartered in Nashville, Tennessee. Thank you for joining us. Hi, this is Peter Woolfolk speaking. Now, first of all, thank you so very much for listening to the podcast. Now, I am very excited to let you know that the podcast is now available on Amazon Alexa. You know the drill. Simply say, Alexa, play Public Relations Review Podcast, and she'll take it from there. And again, thank you for listening. And if you enjoy the program, please become a subscriber. Now, on to the podcast.